Section 133 of United States Senate Election Expulsion and Censure Cases, 1793-1990, by Anne M. Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Case 131. Joseph R. McCarthy, 1908-1957, Wisconsin, and William Benton, 1900-1973, Connecticut. Expulsion Case. August 6, 1951, to January 2, 1953. Issues, Allegations of Corruption. Chronology. Resolution introduced August 6, 1951. Referred to Committee, August 6, 1951. Committee Report, January 2, 1953. No Senate Action, Result. McCarthy not expelled. Background. When Joseph R. McCarthy, Republican of Wisconsin, launched his famous 1950s crusade against communism in the United States government, he found supporters among both Democrats and Republicans. As his methods took on characteristics of libel and sensationalism, however, other senators increasingly became uneasy about his freewheeling allegations and lack of regard for congressional decorum. McCarthy's undeniable influence in the election defeat of Maryland Senator Millard E. Tidings in 1950 deeply disturbed other members, uncertain as to how to control their unorthodox colleague. Statement of the Case. On August 6, 1951, at the close of the investigation into McCarthy's association with the campaign of Maryland's John Marshall Butler, Republican, see Case 130, Connecticut Democrat William Benton introduced a resolution calling for an inquiry and the possible expulsion of the vitriolic Wisconsin senator. Benton, a former advertising executive and State Department official, deplored McCarthy's involvement in the smear tactics used in the Maryland election, but also charged the senator with fraud, deceit, perjury, and lack of fitness to hold the office of senator. Benton, who had entered the Senate in 1949 to fill a vacancy, had been particularly outraged by McCarthy's recent attack on General George C. Marshall as a traitor, quote, steeped in falsehood, unquote. Benton's strongly worded resolution caught more experienced senators by surprise, and none rose to offer supporting speeches. The Senate referred the resolution to the Committee on Rules and Administration, which passed it on to the Subcommittee on Privileges and Elections. Many senators believed that calling for censure, which only required a simple majority vote, would have been a more sensible approach. The Senate had rarely mustered the two-thirds vote needed for expulsion, and then only in cases of actual disloyalty to the nation. Response of the Senate On September 17, 1951, before the subcommittee had formally decided whether to hold hearings, Joseph McCarthy assumed the offensive 
by sending a letter to subcommittee chairman Guy Gillette, Democrat of Iowa, declaring that the hearings planned in response to the Benton resolution were intended to punish him for exposing communists in the American government. McCarthy demanded the right to cross-examine witnesses, a request the committee denied on September 24th when it voted to hold hearings. Anxious to placate McCarthy and to grant appropriate courtesies to a fellow senator, the committee invited him to appear and testify on September 28th and October 1st, 1951. McCarthy refused, calling Benton's charges against him the type routinely found in The Daily Worker, the newspaper of the American Communist Party. In addition to Chairman Gillette, the subcommittee consisted of Mike Monroney, Democrat of Oklahoma, Thomas C. Hennings, Democrat of Missouri, Margaret Chase Smith, Republican of Maine, who had already spoken out against McCarthy in her June 1950 Declaration of Conscience speech, and Robert C. Hendrickson, Republican of New Jersey, who had also signed the Declaration of Conscience. Benton testified on September 28th, charging McCarthy with perjury for denying under oath that in his February 1950 speech in Wheeling, West Virginia, he had claimed there were 205 communists in the State Department. Benton also asserted that the Wisconsin senator had accepted an illegal $10,000 contribution from the Lustron Corporation and had made false and deceitful statements about fellow senators. Not eager to take on McCarthy, the subcommittee delayed opening an investigation into Benton's charges. Then, in November and December 1951, McCarthy unleashed an all-out attack against the subcommittee. He questioned the jurisdiction of the panel and obtained personnel files of committee staffers which, he said, confirmed their communist connections. The ferocity of his barrage forced the committee to postpone conclusive action. McCarthy's supporters pressured Margaret Chase Smith to leave the subcommittee and replaced her with his staunch ally, Herman Welker, Republican of Idaho. Finally, when nothing seemed to abate the Wisconsin senator's overwhelming verbal assault, the panel turned to the full Senate for support and, on March 6, 1952, asked for a vote of confidence in its investigation. With the agreement of the Full Rules and Administration Committee, Chairman Carl Hayden, Democrat of Arizona, on April 8th, asked the Senate to discharge the subcommittee from further consideration of the question of Joseph McCarthy's conduct. Senators responded in anger when they realized that the ability of a Senate committee to act had been thoroughly impeded by a single senator's intimidating tactics. On April 10th, after a torrent of heated debate, the Senate voted unanimously against discharging the subcommittee from the investigation, 
the 60-0 vote upheld the jurisdiction of the committee, affirmed the honesty and integrity of its membership, and approved the continued investigation of Joseph McCarthy. The decision was not as clear-cut as it seemed, however, for, once again, McCarthy had succeeded in muddying the issue, this time by announcing that, in spite of his lack of confidence in the subcommittee, he would vote against ending its investigation. Still, the vote of confidence enabled the subcommittee to move ahead and hold hearings in May 1952 on McCarthy's acceptance of the $10,000 from Lustron Corporation, a manufacturer of prefabricated houses, which depended on money from the government's Reconstruction Finance Corporation, or RFC. McCarthy had served on a subcommittee overseeing the RFC at the time he had accepted the money from Lustron. All was ready to take the offensive. McCarthy struck back on April 10, 1952, the day of the Senate's vote of confidence in the subcommittee, by introducing a resolution that charged William Benton with failing to report certain campaign expenditures. This request for an investigation of Benton was also referred to the Subcommittee on Privileges and Elections. On July 3, 1952, McCarthy testified at a public hearing that, during Benton's tenure at the State Department, he had been a communist in disguise. He waived Benton's tax records, which he had secured through questionable means. Benton, the object of McCarthy's attacks for almost a year, began to buckle, and the subcommittee itself fell into disarray. Not only had Margaret Chase Smith been replaced in late 1951, but both Chairman Gillette and the chief counsel, overwhelmed by the constant barrage of verbal assaults, left the subcommittee in September 1952 after McCarthy won renomination in the Wisconsin primary. Also in September 1952, McCarthy's supporter Herman Welker, who had taken Smith's place, resigned after publicly attacking the subcommittee's approach. Under the chairmanship of Thomas Hennings, the remaining three members sought to complete the investigation. Both McCarthy and Benton were invited to testify during late November 1952, but only Benton appeared. The subcommittee chose not to subpoena McCarthy because it considered the inquiry to be an internal Senate matter and believed that it had given the Wisconsin senator ample opportunity to appear and refute the charges if he had wished to do so. Instead, he had, quote, deliberately set out to thwart any investigation of him, unquote, by making repeated attacks upon the subcommittee and its members. The inquiry trickled to an unsatisfactory end as the senators prepared the long-awaited report covering both McCarthy and Benton. If the document was not to appear partisan, it needed the approval 
of the lone Republican remaining on the subcommittee, Robert Hendrickson, who was also feeling pressure from McCarthy. Thus, while the report, finally filed on January 2, 1953, dealt principally with the Wisconsin senator, it also mildly criticized Benton for an unreported campaign contribution. By describing at length the process of the investigation, the report made clear the extreme difficulties under which the subcommittee had operated, as McCarthy blocked its efforts at every turn. His actions, the report declared, reflected a disdain and contempt for the rules and wishes of the entire Senate body, as well as the membership of the Subcommittee on Privileges and Elections. The report discussed at length the evidence supporting six questions it had asked McCarthy in a November 1952 letter, to which he had responded tersely, The answer to the six insulting questions is no. The questions concerned whether it was proper for McCarthy to have accepted the $10,000 fee from Lustron, the possible personal use of funds donated to fight communism, the propriety of other financial transactions, his activities on behalf of special interest groups, possible violations of the tax and banking laws, and possible campaign financing violations. The report called McCarthy's acceptance of the Lustron fee highly improper, but otherwise concluded simply that the record should speak for itself. The subcommittee urged action by the entire Senate, although it made no specific recommendations. But the Senate did not act. The report had been filed the day before the new Republican Congress convened on January 3, 1953. In the November 1952 Republican landslide, McCarthy had won election to a new six-year term. Although he collected significantly fewer votes in his state than President Dwight D. Eisenhower and other Wisconsin Republicans, still he appeared untouchable while William Benton, the sole senator to challenge his conduct openly, had been soundly defeated in the election. Conclusion When the Senate failed to act, the subcommittee sent its report and files to the Justice Department, asking it to conduct an inquiry into McCarthy's financial dealings. This approach proved no more effective, however, for in October 1953, the Attorney General of the United States announced that the Department's investigation had failed to discover any evidence of fraud and corruption. The subcommittee's report did become something of a bestseller, as a magazine sold 150,000 copies of a condensed version, and more than 7,000 privately reprinted copies were distributed. At the height of the Benton-McCarthy clash, Benton had offered to waive his senatorial immunity if McCarthy chose to take the matter to the civil courts. In March 1952, McCarthy brought a $2 million libel suit against Benton, but withdrew it 
two years later. Joseph McCarthy's intense political career soon moved on to another phase in which his intransigent behavior to the subcommittee played a role, see case 133. William Benton, a courtly, genial liberal, served as the United Nations UNESCO ambassador in Paris from 1963 to 1968. He died in 1973. End of section 133 and of case 131.